We'll be in, in 2 Kings 5. We'll get there in, in just a second. We're looking at this series, uh, Habits of a Loving Heart, based on Willard Tate's book by the same title. And we're, we're this week at habit number four, which is humility. And uh, humility is one of those things that, you know, I, I mentioned before, selfishness is a universal struggle. Everybody struggles with selfishness. And it goes right along with the song that you just sang, which, by the way, at least you didn't do what one song leader did and only sing the first verse and then went home proud. That's, that's the way that works sometimes, and that's the way we live it sometimes, but it's not the way it's supposed to be. Uh, we, we all do also struggle with humility. Maybe we struggle with it in different ways, uh, but we do. Not too long ago, uh, and I, I may have mentioned this maybe to a class it feels like I did, uh, one of my great uncles, the, the last living great uncle on his part of the family, uh, was honored with one of the honor flights and got to go to Washington, D.C. and do all of that stuff. Really, really cool, and he was sharing with us the video of that. But one of the, the things that was kind of uncomfortable in the video had nothing to do with him, and it wasn't a usual part. It didn't seem like of the honor flight stuff. But a lady said, I found this poem the other day, and I wanted to share it with you, and it was about old glory, and it was meant to honor uh, our country and the flag and all of that kind of stuff. But in the middle of it, it said things like, we are, and it's, you know, we are strong, we are resilient. And you're thinking, that's pretty cool, uh, and that's certainly what we want to be. And then it said, we are proud, we are arrogant, and we bend our knee to no one. And i got to tell you, as a Christian, that got, that got all the red flags in the world up all of a sudden, doesn't it? If it doesn't, check your Christianity because something's wrong. We don't bow our knee to anyone. In our own pledge, what does it say? One nation, why is that in there? Because we know that we need to bow our knee to Jesus better here than at the end. Philippians 2 says it's going to happen somewhere, and it happens one way or the other. And there's a long line of nations who didn't get that one way or the other, and they're waiting until the end. And you know that kind of stuff bothers us. We, we have a hard time because it is universal. Every human struggles with pride. Every human struggles sometimes with, with selfishness and all of those things and struggle to be as humble as we know we ought to be. Uh, and and it's, it's tough. It's tough. We, we find a hard balance sometimes between... Uh, humility is never about beating yourself up. C.S. Lewis said it's not about seeing yourself lower and less. It's just about elevating your view of other people and understanding your place in the world, but also not having to put other people down in order to lift yourself up. But we struggle sometimes with that fine line. We struggle with it as individuals. We struggle with it even as a church. We struggle with it as a country. You're wondering, what does he mean we struggle with it as a church? Well, you know, that whole line of thought of we're the only ones going to heaven. Where was that born into? That wasn't born from Scripture. It's born from pride. It's born from arrogance that we already have it all right and nobody else does. And so you'll hear people throw that back in our faces. And you may be thinking, I am, I, maybe because of when I happened to grow up. I grew up in the church. But uh, I didn't hear a lot of people saying that. As, as I got older, I, I realized that maybe I didn't hear it, but it was subtle in there. But many people have. And that, that kind of arrogance doesn't work. We need to be a people who are humble, a people who, even if you think, well, we've got this right and this right and this right, are able to share that with people in grace and humility, right? And so just, 
it's just something we all struggle with it, and, and on every level. There was, uh, well, I'm going to skip that and come back to it later. I uh, don't want to get ahead of myself. I like this from the Haggadah. It's a text that they used at the time of the Passover. It's a traditional Jewish text. And meant to, at the time of the Passover, put man's mind kind of in the frame of where do we fit in creation. Man, yeah, you already read it. Man, man was created on the sixth day so that he could not be boastful since he came after the flea in the order of creation. Okay? That's about right. That is about right. And if, if, if he really wanted to tackle Texas pride, he'd have created us on the ninth day. But because we, we just we struggle, don't we? But we, it's just the way we are. It's something we need to work on, though. Because, as I said last week, that's just the way we are is what? A really poor excuse. So we're going to work on it, right? All of us together will work on it. I want to look at a biblical example of a guy who struggled with this. Kind of a, I think, it's actually kind of a humorous story. And the people don't think there's humor in the Bible. They're not reading it. And uh, it's a story of grace in the Old Testament. Some people think there's not any there. And again, they're not reading it. So let's look at Second Kings 5 together and, and find both these things right here in, in a surprising place. I'm going to start in verse 1. Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now, bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. And Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl at Israel had, from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. And the letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. Now, we'll stop right there for a second. This, this king is, is treating his, his guy really well, who has served him well in his army, as leader of his army, and he cares about him, wants to see him healed, so he hears about the possibility that he could be healed in Israel. So he sends him. He also sends him with, because he's thinking from a pretty worldly uh, frame of mind, you know, let's send kind of a, 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 a gift over there, kind of a diplomatic gift. We'll send this, and, and maybe, maybe that'll kind of grease the wheels a little bit and some of this will work. Well, the king gets it and it's kind of interesting what happens. Verse 7. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cruel, or cured, not cruel, cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me? My eyes are bad this morning a little bit. I could have sworn it said pick a squirrel. But this... This king has a really good attitude too. Now, you might look at it and say, is that a good attitude? Well, when you consider the way that most kings at that time in the world saw themselves, it's a better attitude than average. Go back and read how people would address kings back then. For example, you can go to a museum and see uh, some of the, the clay scrolls that were written to the king of Babylon. And they say, you know, oh, great king of Babylon, Lord of heaven and earth. They call the kings Lord of heaven and earth. And, and sometimes you refer to them as the creator. And you can just imagine kind of how that build up your, your pride and your arrogance. And all of a sudden you can carry that 50-pound crown, no problem. You know, because you're just so puffed up. 
This king, when he gets this request, does not do like uh, some of those kings had done. You see a much different attitude than Pharaoh or anybody else. Pharaoh might have said, yeah, bring in my men. They will get it done because I have the best guys and my sorcerers can fix this guy. He doesn't do any of that. He says, who does he think I am? I can't heal people. I can't, I can't take life and give it back. And so there's a little bit. In me, I don't know what kind of guy he was overall in this particular way, but there's at least a nugget of humility in him that says, you know, this is, this is over my pay grade. At a time when most kings didn't think anything was over their pay grade. A few still don't. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. Here, too, you see a really great attitude. I think this one is born, too, from a humble spirit, but also a spirit that says, if I'm serving God, I always need to be looking for the opportunities to make God known. And that's what he does. So when Elisha hears about this, he writes to the king and says, well, don't throw a tantrum. You know, there's no reason to get all upset about it. What we have here is an opportunity to show that king that our God is the one who cures, is the one who brings life and takes it, and and he'll know that one of his prophets, one of his spokesmen actually is here. So what we have here is an opportunity to see, for him to see, the true Lord and the kingdom of God. So Elisha, great attitude. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. That's a pretty simple thing to do, isn't it? That's, that's way easier than sometimes what you might have gotten at the doctor yourself. You know, how many of you would, wouldn't like it if you, all your, your cholesterol and blockages would be healed if you could just go out in the pecan bayou and dip seven times? That would be dipped in it. Some of you dip already. That's a different problem. But how many of you, ah, how many of you wouldn't just go on out there and do that? I would think, man, this is way easier than I thought it would be. Now, I might at the edge of the river go, is this the power of God or is there something in there I need to know about before I dip into that thing? I might wonder, but this is, this is what he does, isn't it? It's not what he does. He looks at that creek. It's almost like a creek. And he he throws a fit. Let's look at what he says, verse 11. Naaman went away angry and said... Why did he go away angry? He said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hands over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. He throws like this two-year-old tantrum right there in the middle of Walmart in front of Elijah's house. It's the weirdest scene. Think about this for a second. He goes, well, I, that's, that's not what I wanted. I wanted big. I wanted grand. I wanted this guy to come. I wanted his best robes. I wanted him to wear one of those funky hats with the red ruby right in the middle like you see in the movies. You know what I mean? And I wanted him to come out and say, Oh, great God of heaven! So I want you to come down and heal this man right here. That's how I'd preach if y'all let me. I'm just telling you right now. But absolutely would. That's what's really in here. The, uh, but, but he said, that's what I wanted. I wanted him to do a bit of hen right here. Wa-pow! And then there he goes. He didn't do anything. None of it. All he did was say, I want you to go get baptized in the River Jordan seven times. I'm not getting in that river. That thing's nasty. We say, well, how nasty was it? I got a picture. 
It'll look familiar. That's the Jordan River. I'm from San Angelo, and I swear that's home. Look at that thing, doesn't it? Now, you can't quite tell in, in the picture here because it's a little, little washed out there, but if you could see the monitor up here, it's the same brown water as the Concho River right down in there. And, or if you, if you went over the, the river up there, why did I just lose it? I just completely lost the name of the river that borders between us and Oklahoma. You know why? Because I'm from San Angelo and you don't go up there. So <laughs> why would you go up there? The who? That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you. <laughs> For some reason, I had the wrong river in my head. You know, and then you can't get the wrong one out. Flow, river, flow. That's all I got. So we should sing that. We are singing that later, aren't we, Jesse? The, uh, he looks at this river and goes, there is no way I'm getting that nasty thing. It's dirty. It's brown. And have you not seen the rivers we have? And this is not the best picture uh, that I could find. But he says, aren't our rivers better? And this is, this is the Abana River that flows in, in Syria. And, you know, the, this is, like I say, there were some other pictures, but they were a little tighter in. They got beautiful waterfalls. The water is clear. They go through, goes back on through those mountains behind. And he says, I could go out there and it's beautiful and nice and clear. Wouldn't that do a better job of cleaning this leprosy off? It's a weird thing he does, but it's, it's so human. That's just like us, isn't it? Well, do I really have to do that, God? I mean, I that's not really what I, way I wanted it to be. You mean I don't get any attention for this? Nobody's going to come out and have a big service over me? He's not even going to wave his hand over it? I just go to this nasty little creek and, and that's that? That's it. That's it. That's all that's going to happen. And so he gets angry and he stomps off. Now, I like the next part. You know, sometimes, oh, where did I go? I'm going to come back to that. Verse 13. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? You know the answer was, because that's what he wanted, right? If he had said, you know, go climb the mountain and, and there'll be a guy up there at the top and he'll wave over you and talk over you and all of this stuff, wouldn't you have done that? Well, yeah. He says, well, how much more than when he tells you wash and be cleansed? What's the big deal, Naaman? If he told you to do a lot harder work, that you would have been excited about. He made it easy and you got a problem. What's the problem, Naaman? And to his credit, Naaman gets over himself. That's one of the hardest things to do in life sometimes too. And you think about what it took for him to do that. He was that angry, he was that proud, and he'd made a public scene. Isn't it the hardest thing ever when, uh, to, to humble yourself when you've already made a scene in public that was all rooted in pride and arrogance and frustration to have to go back and say, okay. But to his credit, Naaman does it. Okay, so we could give him a hard time, but he's already doing sometimes the thing that we never get around to doing. And when he does, he goes back. He's baptized in the Jordan River seven times and he is healed just as the prophet had said. C.S. Lewis, I'm going to go back to that slide. C.S. Lewis, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. Think about that for a second. As long as you're proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see that which is above you. You cannot see God when you're too busy looking down on everybody else. And James, 
said the same thing. James, the brother of Jesus, who himself had had to get over himself at times. You see that. You look back at his life. He was a guy, seemed like a pretty proud fisherman himself, carpenter's son himself. And he, he, had, he had trouble with this sometimes. But he wrote later, after he had learned, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. It's that whole upside-down economy we have according to the gospel of Christ where things are just sometimes absolutely backwards from the way that the world sees it. You know, Jesus sometimes says things like, whoever wants to keep his life will have to lose it. And we have a hard time with that one. One, we go, what does it even mean by that? When we figure it out, we have an even harder time with it. He means there are times when you're going to have to set yourself aside in order to serve others, to be faithful to God. And it's only when you do that that you actually come alive, when you die to yourself. And that's hard for us, isn't it? It's, it's just one of those tough, tough parts of a Christian walk with God that for us to handle. But if you do it, you find out it's actually freeing. There's nothing more enslaving than a selfish life. There's nothing more enslaving than a life built on personal pride, which can crumble at any moment. And Proverbs says, will. It's tough. But in this upside-down world called the kingdom of God, it actually makes all the sense in the world. Because it's only when we stop looking down on everybody else and when we, when we stop looking down sometimes on what God Himself has called us to do and to be that we actually find freedom and find growth and God actually starts to lift us up and rebuild us in His own image. Peter, that he struggled with this sometimes too, says, All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you. Now, that's all one paragraph, that, that quote. Have you ever noticed how we like to chop off verse 7, put that on a bumper sticker, stick it on Facebook, write it on a, on a post-it note, put it on our mirror, cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you, but we don't read how you do that right before because we can't cast our anxiety on God until we're humble enough to say, God, I can't handle this. This is bigger than me. I'm not, I'm not the strongest. Who am I? Like the king said, who am I? I? I can't give life and take away life and cure diseases. I can't fix the people around me and all of their drama. I can't do this. I can't fix an entire country or stop a hurricane. No, we can't. But if we'll humble ourselves, and then cast all of that onto Jesus, he can, and he will. There was a, uh, a guy named Franz Josef. He was uh, a, a ruler in Eastern Europe. Whoops, boy, did I get ahead of myself. He was a ruler in Eastern Europe, and he died. And at the time of his funeral... They had this huge ceremony like you do for a king and a ruler. And they bring him, you know, they have all of that procession and all this stuff, but they need to bring him to the church that's at the monastery for the final funeral mass and, and burial and all of that. And they get there. And when they get there, the doors are closed. And they, they bang on the door. And they hear a voice back from the cardinal at this monastery who says, Who goes there? And they say, this is King Franz Joseph I, la, 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 title after title after title. I didn't even try to memorize them. It was like 15 titles they used the first time. And he says, I don't know him. Go away. 
You say, how does he not know the king? So they knock on the door again. Who goes there? And he says, or the, the guy says, this is the body of Franz Josef I, king of so-and-so and just a couple of titles. I do not know him. Go away. One last try. They knock on the big doors. Who goes there? It says, this is Franz Josef I, a sinner like every other man. And the doors swung open and they let him in. We all like our titles. It's way too much. And we think that's what defines us. But you know what defines us? It's like the guy who stood on the corner across from the Pharisee prayed. Lord, help me. I'm a sinner. That's, all who, that's, that's who we are. And what Lewis was trying to get at is that's the most freeing thing we can do is to look in the mirror and say, you know what? I'm not anybody but a child of God forgiven and free. That's it. And it, there but by the grace of God go I. And that's all I am. And so we, when we start to get that correction of who we are, it starts to change. How do we treat other people? How do we look at, at opportunities like this to help other people? Because then we start to set ourselves aside. You know, the, the direct TV bill might not be as important as helping somebody who's lost their house. Or the, 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 the comfort of, of our chair during church might not be as important as actually encouraging the person down the row when we start to set all that stuff aside. Because we, like Naaman, like to find everything wrong with everything. That wasn't like this, and that wasn't like that. And, and I, if I was doing that, I would have done it this way. And, and I don't think blah, 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 blah. And you do, we do it at work, we do it at home, we do it here, we do it everywhere. And we look as foolish to God as Naaman did. And what we need as brothers and sisters in Christ is the kind of servants he had. And we'll kind of tap our shoulder every now and then and go, you know, is that really such a big deal? God actually is making this easier on you? Don't you think you ought to go along? We need to be humbled before our death, like Franz Josef, to be able to say of ourselves, it's just me, just another sinner. And I'm here to encourage you, I'm here to strengthen you, and I'm here to walk with you as we go through these doors that will be open because we know who we really are. We're not afraid to admit it. So many people never get to that point, and so they never know Jesus. And I like the idea that God might tell them, Here's what I need you to do. Here's how I created you to be. But I'm not like that. I'm not wired that way. He goes, well, actually, I know a little bit of something about your wiring. And you are. And if you humble yourself, and you come to me, and you die with my son, and are raised with my son in baptism, you'll know what I'm talking about. So I extend to you this morning that invitation to lay it all down. Not worry about what the world would build up in you, but instead to look at, you know, I'm just a sinner. And God's been good to me. And if He wants to forgive me, if I need to get in that dirty water, I'll get in that dirty water. If I need to lay it all down, I'll lay it all down. It's not that big a deal. But what comes after is. Because then He promises to us forgiveness and eternity with Christ, a better life here and now as He reshapes us changes our character to grow, to be able to see and to serve others around us and to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. None of which can be known until we knock on the door. It's just me, a sinner, just like everybody else.
Today's the day that you need to knock on that door. We encourage you to do that and come forward as we stand and as we sing.